Good evening, folks. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and tonight we're all in for a treat because I've got three guests that I'm very excited to share with you, all fantastic. And my first guest, you know, is going to be PGA Tour Pro Zach Sucher. Zach is uh, making his way back out onto the PGA Tour following some injuries. You look back on Zach's career, he won the 2014 Midwest Classic on the Web.com Tour, going all the way back to his time in college at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, won seven NCAA individual titles, including the 2008 Conference USA Championship. He helped UAB to the team title as well, and he is one of the most decorated golfers in the history of UAB golf. So we'll talk about all of that and a whole lot more when Zach joins me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from top 40 under 40 instructor Travis Fulton. Travis has become, A, a great friend of the show. He's got his own show, by the way, called The Stripe Show, which is broadcast over on Facebook Live. You can find links to it on his site, TravisFulton.com. I'm going to get Travis's thoughts on this week's U.S. Open. We'll see what he expects to see from the golf course, who he expects to see on the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon. And we'll also talk about Bryson DeChambeau and his single club length technique. And uh, Travis is a big uh, fan of Bryson, so we'll hear his thoughts on if that could work for all of us or if that may be something that just uh, belongs with Bryson. And uh, we'll talk about that a whole lot more. Travis is going to be along with me a little bit later on in this half hour. And then we're going to round out tonight's show with a return visit from our great friend and uh, Top 100 instructor Tom Patry. If you were with us last week, you heard Tom talk about how he was going to be out on property this week at Shinnecock Hills helping to run the practice facility. So we're going to get a first-hand look at the golf course conditions and the setup of Shinnecock Hills. So we'll talk about that, get his impressions. We'll also talk about course strategy, right? What's it going to take for someone to win out there this week? So we'll get his take on all of that and a whole lot more when Tom joins me a little bit later on in the hour. So, folks, a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night and choosing to listen to this show and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. Before we get started, I want to continue to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday, 8.03 a.m. tea time. It is broadcast over on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to WLXG.com or doing what I did, which is download the WLXG app. You know how much I think of Matthew, and it's such a wonderful way to kickstart your Sunday mornings. Go check him out. Again, it's called Backspin Golf. His equally fantastic and four-minute older twin brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. He and his co-host Darren Bunch travel all over the world, and they let us know great places to play, stay, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it on golfnewsnet.com or over on Audioboom. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our good friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they've got going on up there. 
Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there in French Lick and to book your stay as well. And, folks, you've heard me talking about Club Hub sensors over the last several months. It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out on the market because other shot trackers tell you what happened. Club Hub's going to tell you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make over on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I've put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. Another GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Club Hub app does. It's available for, available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Club Hub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off of all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. Their summer collection is out, and the shift in seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've added some great details, fresh colors, new additions with genuine, enduring character. They make style easy. Find carefully coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options by going online to bobbyjones.com. All right, now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is PGA Tour Pro Zach Sucher. Let me give you some background on Zach. He is from right here in Atlanta, Georgia. Played his college golf over at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, where, like I said a moment ago, he was one of the most decorated players in school history. Won seven tournaments while he was there, including the 2008 NCAA East Regional and the Conference USA Championship. He holds a school record for low round with a 62 at that 2008 East Regional. He was the 2007-2008 Conference USA Player of the Year, and he was named All-Conference his junior and senior seasons, and he was a two-time All-American as well. Turned pro back in 2009 and played out on the NGA Hooters Tour. Moved over to the Web.com Tour from 2011 to 2014 and got his first professional win at the 2014 Midwest Classic, winning that tournament by three strokes over Aaron Watkins. Finished 14th that year on the Web.com Tour Finals, earning his PGA Tour card. And according to his profile on PGATour.com, he's done some pretty interesting things outside of the game as well, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And I am honored he is with me here tonight on Next on the Tee. Hey, Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. So, Zach, there's a lot of things I want to get into tonight, you know, about your time at UAB and, and out on both tours. But a couple of things on your PGA Tour profile page caught my attention when I was doing the research <laughs> on your background. First, it says 
You used to perform in a Backstreet Boys cover band. Tell me about that. <laughs> well, that that was um, we were going through all their bio questions uh, to start the year. Our first time on the Web.com tour, um, I was having some fun with my caddy. We were thinking up some pretty good things to say, and uh, that was that's probably my favorite thing I put on there. It's not true. It's more like a dream. Um, but I've had some uh, pretty fun interviews since then, which has been nice. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. Okay, so that begs the question, because something else, says, it also says that you wrestled an alligator. Is that true? Well, I have, well, okay, so I've, I've spent most of my life in Mobile. Um, wrestle is a strong word. I have grabbed a few, um, nothing over like six, seven feet, but I have a, uh, we have picked up some alligators, so that that counts as true. <laughs> they fight back a little. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so you know you're you're not out there like Gatorland wrestling around as a as a gator wrestler in the off season chasing down the big boys. That's right. I'm certainly not getting in the water to wrestle them. Um, if, if I'm if I'm doing anything, they're going to be on land. I, I got a little advantage there. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's let's go back. To your time, you know, and, and really in, in, in the period, you know, a- ending high school, going into college, and uh, you obviously picked UAB. Because as I was reading more details about you, you were not only a talented young golfer, but you were an all-state basketball player as well. So talk about your, your, your route to UAB, but also how golf ended up winning out over basketball. Yeah, so um, so I love, I love basketball. Um I would have been like a foot taller, I might have given that a go. Um, uh, I don't think I had much chance. Um, well, I, I didn't have a chance, which I learned when I got to UAB, which is nice. Um, but I enjoyed basketball a lot. And so uh, wherever I went, I wanted to be interested in basketball. And uh, I kind of narrowed it down um, my senior year, beginning of my senior year, to UAB, Kentucky for basketball, and uh, in Alabama. Now them has never had that strong of a uh, strong of a basketball program. They're getting, they're getting better, but um, that year I went to all the court. I went to my my visits everywhere, and um, I loved UAB, uh, but they were not nearly as good at basketball as Kentucky, obviously. And but I liked the golf better there. I liked the fact I could play all year. Um, I'm not. Uh, I like I like to play golf every day, and so I didn't want to uh, set those set those months out in the snow and hit golf balls indoors. Didn't seem very much fun. And the NCAA tournament came around, and that was the year uh, UAB knocked off number one Kentucky. I think it was the uh, round of 32, I think. Um, and I was like, all right, that's it. UAB is awesome at basketball too. I'm going. And, uh, and so that that was kind of the decision to go to UAB. And um, yeah, golf, golf was always golf was always going to be ahead of basketball. I uh, I knew I knew early enough that I, I didn't stand much of a chance at six at six foot and not that fast. I didn't stand much of a chance in basketball. Golf was obviously the right the right choice for you. You had a lot of success at UAB. Several tournament individual and team titles came your way, including winning the individual and team conference USA championship. Back in 08, like I mentioned in your intro, had to be a huge thrill for you and your teammates. Well, absolutely. We, um, I always felt like at UAB we were really close to being awesome. We never really clicked at the same time. And, um, 
we did a few times, and that that was one of them. We all, I, I felt like in my in my four years there, we had more talent than than the team that seemed to show up most weeks. Um, like I said, we never seemed to put them together um, at, at the right time, but uh, it, it was awesome. Um, yeah, those we had about a year and a half, two years where where it was really fun there. We were competing a lot of events, and uh, yeah, obviously made it made it to NCAA a few times as a team, which was which was awesome. So you win you win the conference USA tournament, right? You win the individual title. The team wins the team title. Tell me, what was it like afterwards? You, you guys sink the final putt. The tournament's over. How'd you guys celebrate the win? Oh man, uh, that was a long time ago. Um, I'm not sure if we did a whole lot that night. Um, to go wear a coat, I'm sure our coach took us somewhere good. It was in Texarkana, um, which isn't the biggest town. Um, I'm sure we took us to some restaurant there, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, once once we got back, we were all just uh, prepping for um, prepping for regionals, which was nice. So it was all kind of pretty quick there. We were interested to fi- figure out where we got to go, uh, which was nice. Um, we still did that seedings. We were hoping we were going to be able to stay somewhere in the southeast, which we did, and um, which again, it's all luck, but it was it was nice. So yeah, I think we just got ready for the next step. So the year before, right, as I look over all the tournament titles that you guys won, the year before you won at, at Shoal Creek at the uh, Intercollegiate Championship. Shoal Creek, right, hosted a lot of, lot of major championships, a couple of PGA, some amateur championships, the, the Regents Tradition Championship, which is a major on the Champions Tour, just hosted the Women's U.S. Open a little over a week ago. So here you are. You get a win at Shoal Creek. What's it like winning on that golf tournament and then seeing all the other majors that have been played there, people that have won there, and your name is right up there alongside all of them. What's that like? It's pretty awesome. That uh, Shoal Creek is one of the reasons I came to UAB. Um One of my favorite golf courses, definitely my favorite in the state by, by landslide. And um, like I said, it was one of the reasons I came to UAB, I, I had played it once um, before before signed, and um, when I came for my visit, and he's rattling, my coach is rattling off all the all the courses we played here, you know, most weeks. And um, when he mentioned that one, I was like, oh man, there's a, there's a good one to play every week. And so um, I've loved the course for probably 20 years now. Um, enjoying enjoy reading all the history about it and. Um, so it's all it's it's um it's nice to know that you can you can play well on a you know tour caliber golf course in college, which is great. Because we played a lot of a lot of easy ones. We played um more easy courses than we played, you know, ones that even par to you know, five under will win. So Zach, looking over some of the other guys that have played their college golf at UAB, obviously Graham McDowell sticks out. He came along there a little bit prior to you, but have you gotten to know Graham and have you been able to spend some time with him, get his advice and counsel over the years? Um, a, a little bit. I have, um, I've, I've played with him once and hoping to play with him a lot more, um, this next year. He doesn't play in nearly as many events, um, since, since his, uh, major win, he plays in more of the big events, the ones that the rookies out there don't get into. Um, but uh, I've seen him a few times, talked to me, came um, and talked to the team while I was at UAB, and uh, I've talked to him a couple times since then. And um, he's a great guy. Hopefully I'll play a lot more golf with him um, ahead. 
And he's, uh, he's set to be inducted into the UAB Athletics Hall of Fame a little bit later this year. And uh, following this year, the next Hall of Fame class isn't until 2020. looks like they're going about every other year. But you got to be up for consideration for the you know for the Hall of Fame right based on all the things you know you've done and you were able to accomplish while you're there is that something on your mind I got to imagine that phone's got to ring for you at some point yeah, absolutely I sure hope so um, it'd be it'd be quite an honor um I haven't uh I haven't thought about it much I'm I'm pretty laid back and so I've um yeah like I said I, I hope so but um yeah it'd be great if it happens so as you Left UAB and, and continued on with your golfing career. You made your way up through the Hooters Tour, onto the Web.com Tour, and in 2014 you got your first professional win there at the Midwest Classic over a very good field that included not only runner-up Aaron Watkins, but also guys like Jason Gore, Rod Pampling, DJ Trahan, Brant Job, just to, just to name a few of the guys that were in the field that week. And your opening three rounds, outstanding, 66, 63, 64, on a Jack Nicklaus course there at Lionsgate. Talk about what you remember from your first pro win. Oh, man, I remember a lot from that week. Um, I could, I'm, I'm sure I could take you through every shot. Um, the, uh, the, big, the big ones that stand out was the uh, – the 64 of the third round started out with a double in the first, so that was um, not, not a great way to start. A bounce back, burning the next few holes, which was nice. Um, kind of a settle back in. Um, and what I remember most is, is the final round. It went from playing really easy um, the first three days. It wasn't. Um, it, was a, it was a favorable wind. It wasn't that windy. Um, greens were soft, rolling good in the last day. Some wind blew, came up, went the other direction, was blowing probably 25 all day, and um, it was just a grind. The final, I think, I shot uh, even par or something the last day, one, one under or something like that. Um, right. And uh, and I think there were, you know, it was so windy, it was, it was kind of nice. There wasn't um, many good rounds to be had, so there wasn't much catching up, which is great. Yeah, I think, I think Zach, just, we talk an awful lot about the mental side of the game on this show. And as you mentioned, doubling the first hole in the third round, yet still coming back and shooting 64. How did, how did you mentally adjust? You know, you go out, obviously not the way you, you wanted to get your round started or, you know, no one wants to double any hole, right? How did you get right. your mind right after making double to bounce back and have an outstanding round after that? Well, I think, um, I think the next few holes helped a lot. I, I uh, the first hole it was hard. It's not not double hard, but it's it's a difficult hole. One of the harder ones in the course. And uh, I think I went out and I was like, all right, you know, let's make some birdies after that. And I remember correctly, I hit it to about a foot on the next two holes, and so that kind of settled me down into like, okay, here we go, back back on track, and. Um, I think I had a lead going into that round and lost it on the first two. So it wasn't a, uh, wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a good start, but, but the next two holes helped, helped to settle me back into, you know, playing more comfortable golf. And Zach, being out on the web.com tour, obviously the, 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 the sort of season within the season, if you will, right? The goal is to get into the top 25 so that you can get your right. PGA Tour card. So sometimes you're in a tournament within a tournament, right? You you can secure one of the top spots with a with a top finish. 
And as I was looking back over over your year there, you found yourself at the DAP Championship a couple of years ago, and you needed a top five finish to secure your standing in the top 25. You know, go through that tournament. You're there on 18 in the final round, needing a birdie to secure that top five spot. And it was a pretty packed leaderboard. You make birdie, you, you know, and now, now you're good and everything is fine for you and you're getting your tour card. If you make bogey, though, things could go the other direction for you. So you're standing there, you know, set up after a, uh, a good tee shot in the middle of the fairway, but left to the hole is death. Birdie is still right in front of you. How do you keep the negative thoughts of, oh, my goodness, if I go left here, I could really cost myself. But if I can make birdie here, I can secure my spot. How do you focus on the positive? Because you hit a heck of a golf shot, and then you end up securing, making birdie and securing your spot. How do you get your mind right to block out the, you know, what could go south for you and focus on the birdie you needed in front of you? Absolutely. That, that was one of the craziest days um, that I can remember playing golf. It was um, it was the fire, fire group was me and, me and Bryson, the um, Chambeau out there, and we kind of – Battled all day long. We were always, you know, a couple ahead of the pack, and it was—it's an odd feeling. Um, not necessarily trying to win an event. Like I, I was obviously trying to win, but it's an odd feeling thinking like, at the end of the day, top five gets you gets the goal done. I mean, the, the the main goal of those four events is get to the PGA Tour, and so it's it's a weird it's a weird scenario because almost you know the whole year you play to win every tournament. Um, and then to get into you know, one of those fields where you know, yeah, you know, somewhere between thirty and thirty-five thousand will secure your card guaranteed. And um, so it, it was, it was odd. the whole day was pretty was pretty odd. Uh, and and the last hole is that, that's the most, it's probably the most pressure I've ever felt in golf was that last shot, knowing one shot is a difference in. Um, I think it was it was a huge tie. If I paired, I think I still finished tied for fifth with like three other guys. And if I if I if I bogeyed, I dropped to ninth, which you know the, the money drops off so fast that that leaves a lot of work to be done next the next few weeks. And so um, on that, and uh, it was a perfect number, which is great. Un- under the pressure, having a number that's um, a, a club you can just go after is is fantastic. There wasn't any any backing off of it or you know trying to feel something in there. It was just smashing eight iron, and and uh, which which is great. It's I think it's so much easier to swing hard under pressure. So um, yeah, I think um, yeah. I, I don't know what I don't know what I secured right in my head. I was I was feeling the pressure. So uh, it would, <laughs> yeah, obviously it worked out. So to to that end, right? When you when you find yourself in those situations, obviously you found yourself in those situations a bunch of times in college with the wins that you had. Here you are presented with it with an opportunity to you know to achieve what your goal is all season long to get your tour card. But you know, from a mental standpoint, are are, are the negative thoughts coming in into your head? Do you have a way to to protect yourself or shield yourself from those thoughts? How do you keep your mind right? Um. I think it's just um, one staying focused on whatever your game plan was. Um, you know, we we didn't hit we that round. There wasn't many drivers to hit that round, but we never backed off and said this is the safer play. Um, it was always just stick to your target lines on the whole. 
And um, I, I think that's the first thing is is uh, not letting the emotions get the better of you and and playing safer than you normally would or um, or playing more aggressive um, than you normally would. But to, but to play consistent golf. Um, n- number two, I think just having a good caddy that keeps it light is is huge. Um, I, I had a great caddy there that, um, yeah, we joked around the whole round, um, just had fun. I mean, it was, you know, obviously the pressure's there, but um, – you got to have fun, and if you can't, I mean that's that's what we play golf for is is to be in those moments. So um, just embracing it and and enjoying it while you're out there. And and Zach, you you've used the term we a lot, and I love that, right? The 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 sort of the the team, if you will, you and your caddy out there. Talk about when when you've got a caddy like that, right? And you're you're working together, and you and you get into those sort of pressure situations. What are you talking about in between shots? How are you keeping it light so that uh, the pressure doesn't, you know, overcome you and uh, you can, you know, kind of take a mental breather, if you will, in between shots? Um, well, we we talked a lot about not. Um, I want to have like less than a minute of golf per shot, and everything else in between, I don't want to be focused on golf at all. Uh, is is the main goal, and so. We get up there a lot of times. I'm, I'm a very fast player, so a lot of times that involves um, wasting time before it's our turn to hit, so that it's not I'm not sitting there ready to go for you know two minutes um, over the golf ball. So we, you know, looking in the woods, messing around, quoting movies. Um, we have about a hundred different little bets throughout the day. Um, which is nice, just stuff to keep you, just stuff to keep it loose and not on golf. I mean, I, like I said, I want to be 30 seconds to a minute max per shot, and then nothing in between until the next shot is, is the is the goal, I think. Zach, just a couple more before we let you go, and and one of the things I've always been curious about for guys playing out on tour: at, at what point in your in your you know golf career, or your maturation out on the golf course? At what point does the gallery sort of fade away and you're, you become less conscious of all the people watching you and watching all of your shots to now they're just a part of the background and it no longer bothers you that you've got, you know, thousands of people watching your every move? Um, the gallery has never bothered me much at all. At all. It's, 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 it's more distracting when there's like three people there. Um, if you're out in the middle of the course and there's three people doing something, it seems to be more distracting than, than the, the huge crowds kind of blend in, and uh, you can't hear anything from either. Which is nice. It's all just kind of like a like a hum. And uh, the big the big crowds never never bother us. I used to get it's been a long time since I had it. I used to get first key, first tee jitters. I remember in high school and in college a lot. Um, but I, I can't remember the last time I was I was nervous in the first tee. Hopefully I'll get to the uh, Masters or one of those majors. Um, and have a feeling I'll feel it there, but uh, yeah, it, it's been nice. I haven't, um, like I said, I've, the, the crowds are great. Um, the bigger, the better. So Zach, we know you've been rehabbing through some injuries. What's uh, what's on your calendar? What are your plans for the rest of 2018? Oh, just uh, continuing um, physical therapy and um, you know starting to work, starting to work into actually hitting some golf clubs again. I've been. Uh, 
the short game should be really, really good when I get back out. That's that's what I'm hoping. Uh, it should be. It's not all I've been able to practice much. Um, yeah, I've had um, with all the with all the left left side of my body injuries. Being right-handed, it's been the you know, the leg that takes most of the most of the torque, I guess. And so, um, yeah, like I said, I'm finally getting back into it, and uh, hopefully, I'll be golfing golfing soon. But uh, so far, it's just been focused on short games, which is which is the important part. So Zach, I got to ask you, who do you like this weekend? Who who do you think uh, is uh, on top of the leaderboard come Sunday afternoon? Oh man, I I, I gotta like Dustin Johnson after this week. I know they're talking about that whole uh, that whole no one no one's won the week after they've won for for a U.S. Open yet, but it looks pretty impressive last week. And uh, I mean that place, I played there a couple times. It's a pretty hard golf course. He made it look easy. So. Yeah, if I I was putting money on it, it'd it'd be on him. So, Zach, let our listeners know, how can we stay up to date with all the things that you're doing, whether we're following you online or it's on social media? Well, man, social media, I'm I'm starting to post more, which which I'm working on. Um, So that's probably the easiest thing, just just back simply on any social media will pop up. Well, Zach, I appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. I hope you'll come back and, and join me again sometime. Keep us updated on uh, on how you're doing, how the rehab's going, and when we can uh, expect to see you back out on the golf course. It's been fantastic having you as part of the show tonight. Awesome. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for having me. Zach, thank you so much. All the best to you and your family. Hopefully we get the opportunity to catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Love to be back on. Take care, Zach. That is Zach Sucher, and again, uh, well, you know, one of the great players in the history of UAB golf, and like I say, seven titles while he's in college, uh, which is unbelievable. He certainly deserves to be in the UAB Athletic Hall of Fame, so I look forward to catching up and seeing that, and, and moreover, hopefully getting you know healthy again, getting back out on tour, and uh, what a wonderful guy, you know, fantastic. Hopefully we get the opportunity to have him back on the show again real soon, hear some positive things about how he's feeling. All right, before I get to my next guest, Travis Fulton, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, folks, you've been hearing me talk about Club Up Sensors over the last several months, right? Best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out on the market. Other shot trackers are out there telling you what happened. Club Hub's going to tell you what happened and why. So take the progress that you make over on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. Again, I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing golf. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards end of the green, but after you're on, you can go back and you can look at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. Another GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review you around the way the Club Hub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed, again, of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Club Hub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the, just, the best GPS swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. And, folks, I've got to tell you how excited I am about a new weapon I have in my golf bag. For the last few weeks, I, you know, I've got the new M4 Driver 
from TaylorMade. And now, you know, if you haven't tried the new twist face technology, you're missing out. I don't know about you, but I don't hit it in the center of the face every swing, right? Every time. After studying hundreds of thousands of swings from pros and amateurs like us, TaylorMade designed their new drivers to help protect our miss hits, right? And give us straighter distance. So whether you, your miss is on the low heel or the high toe, Twist Face helps bring the ball back to center, keeping the distance that we want and finding the fairway more often. I'm hitting more fairways than I ever have, and the driver is also the choice of some pretty good golfers you might recognize, right? Twist Face is played by Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, John Robb, and Justin Rose, to name a few, and they're dominating the top ten on tour. So if you haven't tried Twist Face, go hit it and get fit. It's in the new M3 and M4 drivers only from TaylorMade. And, folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our good friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, and now back with me on the French Lake Resort guest line is one of the top instructors in our game, and that's Travis Fulton. Let me remind you about Travis's background. He was raised in Kellogg, Idaho. He played three years of college golf at Lewis and Clark State College, which is an NAIA school up in Lewiston, Idaho. He won the Pacific Northwest Athletic Conference Championship his junior year at Bryden Canyon Golf Course, firing a final round 66 to win by a stroke. There he also holds the course record of 61. Travis is now the lead instructor at Pablo Creek uh, Golf Club and Jacksonville Golf and Country Club, as well as Victoria National in Evansville, Indiana. He's been a contributing writer to PGATour.com and Golf Illustrated. He's been named a top 40 under 40 instructor by Golf Digest and best teacher in the state of Florida. He's a regular co-host on Golf Channel's Morning Drive. He's worked with pros like Fred Funk and Led Matisse out on tour, and I'm delighted. He is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Travis. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. Always good to be back. Thanks for having me. So, Travis, before we get into, you know, golf tips and some instructional things and uh, opportunities for us to improve our game, I want to get your thoughts on the U.S. Open. I'm, I'm curious to get, you know, what are you expecting? What do you think we're going to see coming up this week at Shinnecock Hills? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think we're going we're gonna to see, I think, a step back in the right direction for the USGA, uh, at least I'm hoping on uh, what the U.S. Open is and should be, you know, all about, which is, you know, a big ballpark. Uh, we're going to see a, a, a golf course that's going to be running and playing quick through the fairways, although they're going to get some rain um, tomorrow. I expect that uh, they can still dry that out and get the ball bouncing. We're going to see some rough, and um, I think we're going to see – a terrific, you know, major championship here with uh, the young guns, you know, coming up to the surface now over the last uh, few years and and uh, this resurgence of Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson's game, which uh, is still very competitive and, of course, trying to com- complete the career Grand Slam. So I think we're set up for a good one here. I hope the, uh, the USGA kind of stays out of the way a little bit and just lets, you know, Shinnecock be itself and uh, and let these great players go to work. So, Travis, from what we've seen so far about the course layup and how it's being set up, what kind of player do you think the course is set up for? Is, is it going to be a, a bomber's course? Is it going to be a, you know, whoever has the best short game is going to win? What do you think, you know, the best attributes from a player is going to need to be in order to win uh, come Sunday night? 
Well, it's interesting. You know, I'm, I'm listening to some of the interviews today. Uh, Brooks Kepka, who of course won the U.S. Open last year at Aaron Hills, and he he feels like it's going to be a bit of a second shot golf course. We're kind of hearing that, uh, but this is a big course. You know, Shinnecock uh, is going to play probably close to 7,400 yards. So, you know, I think it, it's going to be a cut from what we see. Um, you know, primarily on the PGA Tour, Chris, which it's kind of favored towards the bigger hit, the bigger hitter. So, uh, I think, uh, distance for sure is going to play an advantage here. Um, you know, when you can hit it out there like a Dustin Johnson, like a Justin Thomas and carry it 315 yards and then the ball releases another 30 to 40, that's a huge advantage. And it's a big advantage, um, when you have that kind of speed out of the rough as well. So, uh, we know the short game is going to play a role. We, we know you're going to have to get the ball up and down. Um, we know you're going to have to make some putts. Those things are given, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, when, when, when the chips fall, it's still, I think is going to favor the player who can get it out there consistently over that 315, 320 mark. So, we look at a guy like Phil, right? And I think he he is a, a sentimental favorite for so many of us, right? We, we want to see Phil get the Grand Slam. We want to see him play well. We've seen him win earlier this year. You look back at last weekend, Phil had a, had a couple of nice, you know, bookend rounds, 66-65 uh, in Memphis. Can this, be the, can this be the year that he finally slays the dragon? Can he get a win this year, Travis, and, and complete the career Grand Slam? Well, I think, you know, you're not going to put it past him. I think, um, I think the odds are against him. I mean, he's 47 years of age, so the odds are against him for sure. Um, but, you know, Phil knows how to win, right? I mean, he's won 43 times. Um, he's got, uh, you know, he's got a handful of major championships. He's been close in the U.S. Open. We know his game, uh, is suited for a U.S. Open. He knows how to get around these difficult golf courses, finishing second six times. So I, I wouldn't put it past him. It just takes four solid rounds um, for Phil. Can he can he keep the ball in play in front of him um, with the driver? Can he can continue um, the excellent you know, ball striking that we've seen from his iron game? We've seen uh, a little bit of a boost in that and the work that he's put in with uh, Andrew Getson. And Kenny can continue to putt well. So, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, it would be a heck of a story, right? I mean, for Phil Mickelson, uh, the second best player, you know, of the last, you know, certainly of the Tiger Woods era, um, it, it would be a terrific story to see him come out and, and complete the Grand Slam. I'm for sure uh, the sentimental favorite. Travis, I want to get your thoughts on one of the holes that I find most intriguing out at Shinnecock, and it's the, the par 3 11th hole. Only 160 yards. It's uphill to a crown green. Lee Trevino called it the shortest par 5 in golf. You know, and oh, by the way, out there, right, you know, the wind can come from any which direction. So when you're standing on a tee like that, right, you're looking at an uphill par 3, 160 yards, you can barely sort of see the top of the flag. You know you've got a bowl green. How do you approach that shot? You know, I think those are the types of shots. You know, those are the blind tee shots, right? And you know it's difficult. And I think that's where you really have to know what your distance is. And you've had to demonstrate to yourself a number of times that this is how far I can carry an 8-iron, right? Or for some players... 
Uh, it might be a nine iron. And for an amateur player who's playing a similar hole, it might be a seven iron. Whatever the case may be, you know, we, we have to, to be, you know, relatively dialed in on, on how far we're carrying the irons. And of course, these tour players know, right? They know within a yard, um, when things are, on a flat carry type of situation, how far that ball is going to carry. Now, when it's uphill, they have to factor some of those things in as well, but they're able to do that with their caddy. So I think you have to, you have to really trust the distance. I think you have to trust your sight lines, and that's when you have to make an aggressive swing, you know, really at a line where you can't see the bottom of the flag stick. And that can be challenging, but that's where knowing your distances and, and certainly committing to the shot and making an aggressive swing comes into play. And Travis, we we've heard that you know the fairways narrow, right? You get some wider fairways if you're a shorter hitter, but as you get out to the 280, 290, 300 yard mark, the fairways are going to start to get you know more narrow. You're going to have higher rough on either side of those. So if if you end up finding yourself in the rough, like we know the U.S. Open likes to create, how do you get out? Is that is it a is it a an explosion shot that you're trying to hit? How what's your advice if if you know one of us were playing or you were talking to a player and they find themselves out in the thicker rough? How do you get out, advance the ball, or is that a, is it a thing where you've really got to get in your mind that you're going to take your medicine, you're going to make your five and move on? Well, I think if you if you're talking from the fairway, um, you know when you start getting into that primary rough, like we're going to see at Shinnecock and some of the really troubled areas. You know, even the best players who have advanced types of club head speed, you know, they're going to have to take significant loft. And, and if the lie is so severe, they're going to have to take their medicine, right? I mean, you can't advance the ball um, reasonably into consideration where you can get the ball up in an area where you can, um, you know, be, you know, be in a position where you can then get the ball up and down. So um, if, if that probability is not in your favor, where you think you can advance that ball and get into a safe spot. Well, that's when you got to take the medicine and you've got to take a higher lofted club and get it back out and play. So now you have a better opportunity from your third shot. I think, you know, minimizing the damage is what professional golfers do very, very well, right? They may hit a bad tee shot, but you're not going to see a decision that leads to then another bad shot where they compound the air. It happens from time to time, but usually, you know, the second shot, Chris, then starts to become a situation where, okay, let's make a good decision here out of the rough and get ourselves back in position to give ourselves the best chance and the best probability of the third shot. And I think with amateurs, we don't go through that kind of dialogue internally where we would assess it we're going to take too little of loft. We're going to try to advance it too much. And then the ball only travels another 15 yards, but it's still in the fescue. It's still in that deep rough. So you have to minimize damage. I think sometimes take the medicine, right, play conservatively, and get the ball back out and play where you can do something with your third shot. To take that a step further, Travis, is that something you teach when you're playing, you know, when you're giving instruction, whether it's to a class or an individual, really about, you know, not not just the mental side of the game, but really the strategic side. Like, look, you know, here you are, you're you're in the deep rough. What what are you thinking here? Oh, I'm thinking I'm going to try. You know, I'm 150 yards away, or I'm 180 yards away. I'm I'm going to try my five iron. Well, you know what? Five iron's not going to get you out here. The better play is this. Do you do you work with your t- uh, with with your students to try to 
you know, strategize their way around a golf a golf course and, you know, like we said a moment ago, take their medicine when you've got to do it and then go attack another hole? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're out there, you know, with your students, you're you're constantly uh trying to create a situation where you don't just overtake the decision making. You you try to put your your student in a position where, you know, what what would they do here, right? Let them let them get to the ball, let them approach it in a way that if I wasn't standing there and then hit that shot and then and then come in and offer the advice, right? And offer the counsel based off of how they would go about it if if they were in a tournament and we were not out there in a playing lesson. So I, I think it's always good, always good to put students in real situations. It's important to get on the golf course. It's important to see what changes on the golf course versus the time that you're spending uh, at the practice facility, not only from a technique standpoint, but what is happening from a decision-making standpoint, from a course management standpoint, and what kind of direction can you give that student based upon what you know about their skill sets, what shots they're capable of hitting to make the appropriate decisions, especially in situations like we're discussing, which is in the rough, because it's going to happen. No one hits every fairway. We're going to get the ball in the rough. There's courses that amateurs play that have severe rough, and um, I think it, it's important that you minimize the damage and get back out and play. Travis, you you posted some some really nice thoughts about Bryson DeChambeau and his technique. I think you're a fan of guys that do it differently, unconventionally, and and have success. And I was curious on on your thoughts on on Bryson's technique. You know, is the single club length in in the way that he goes about hitting the ball is that something we should consider, or is that just something we should marvel at because it is different and he has been so successful using it? Well, I marvel at it. I, I think. You know, especially in today's age, Chris, it's easy to, you know, really be affected by, you know, what other people are thinking in today's social media world. And, you know, I think Bryson is very confident in, in himself and in what he's doing. And and he's been like that since, you know, he was in college, you know, when he won the NCAA. I think people took him seriously then, but I don't think they really put him in a position um, where he was going to be as successful as he has been on the PGA Tour. And I've been big on him since he's come out. I've always liked his game. I think he is sneaky long off the tee. I think he's an excellent iron player. Um, I, the question always has been, can he settle in and be a better-than-average putter and around the greens? And I think he's been able to do that. I think he's really settled in nicely now with his technique. So, you know, his his approach to the full swing really, you know, it comes from the golfing machine, which is, you know, an old instructional book. It was it was kind of the attempt to look at the geometry and a bit of science before we had all the technology that we have today. Homer Kelly um was a deep thinker and I think had a lot of things right. And, you know, one of the things that he always talked about in his book was, you know, setting up in what was called an impact fix position, which really means that you kind of unhinge that lead wrist. When you look at Bryson, he takes that lead wrist, he unhinges it a little bit, and then almost like he was putting, and then he takes that right forearm and he lines the forearm up on the same angle of the shaft. And, and to do that, you've got to stand fairly upright, uh, almost a bit like Mo Norman, who was also um, 
you know, motivated by some of the teachings of the golfing machine. So the impact fix position, unhinging that lead wrist, lining up the right form, standing the shaft a little more upright, really allows that shaft to return on that same exact angle. You can imagine if you set the shaft very low, you know, and then come into impact, that shaft would raise, right? We see the shaft raise at impact. Well, impact fix, it takes that raise of the shaft out or the rise of the shaft out, and it it really, in some regards, you can kind of argue, simplifies, um, you know, some of the movements that are happening through impact. The club face stays, you know, very square to the arc, and and he's mastered it. Now, he's taken it, I think, to a bit of an extreme with, with the single shaft in the irons and really matching that up, and he's proven it to work. And I, and I have a lot of respect for people who, you know, really believe in what they're doing. And, and they really put it out there, and he's done it at a very high level. The winning the Memorial is a big win, and I, I would not put it past him uh, to be right up there on the leaderboard here at the U.S. Open come Sunday. One of the other guys that we've grown accustomed to seeing at the tops of leaderboards and majors is Jordan Spieth. And, and mm-hmm. uh, guy, he's been kind of quiet this year so far, Travis, outside of the, the Sunday run at the Masters. Um, and I think it's been mostly due to his putting. Is is a, is a place like Shinnecock or a place like a major, is that a place where you can kind of pull it back together? Can you get yourself right at a major, or is that not the place that you would expect to see a guy who's been struggling with whatever aspect of a game, whether it's Jordan with his putter or something else, to be able to get it back together and get themselves back on a leaderboard? I, I would think not. You know, I would think that this is probably not the venue to – you know, look as a stepping stone to get, you know, your putting back in, in track. I mean, this is something that Jordan's been through before in his career, you know, and struggling with putting, maybe not quite, you know, to this level when it's your job as a professional out of the PGA Tour, considering the expectations that he has, um, you know, obviously a very successful champion already now with three major championships. You know, this has been a big fall. You know, you're, you're talking about, a player who um, was one of the best putters on tour, certainly probably the best from mid-range putting. I mean, it was incredible the run that he was on, um, you know, from 10 to 15 feet. And now you're seeing someone statistically that is at the bottom of the PGA Tour. I mean, he is in that 200 uh, number range now, which is the bottom of the PGA Tour strokes gain from putting. So this is a big fall, and, uh, you know, his confidence has definitely taken a hit. Um, it really hasn't gotten any better. I'm always one for patience and kind of ride things out. But I really do think now we're in a situation with Jordan Spieth where I think post-U.S. Open, um, you know, this start and another, if we don't see some, you know, improvement here, in Jordan's speed, I think we're going to see some changes. And I think he's going to have to kind of rock the boat a little bit mentally from a technique standpoint to really kind of create a new chapter, a new beginning that he can kind of build off of because uh, this has been a, a major, major fall statistically for putting in, in Jordan's speed. And to that end, Travis, have you seen somebody go through that big of a, a fall from where they were? And, and when that when that happens, what, where where does it fall apart? How do you go from, to your point, one of the guys that, you know, I think we we would go back to 2015, 2016, even winning the uh, the Open Championship last year. 
I think we'd all say, from look, from 15 feet, this guy's money almost every time. And now, even from a couple of feet, you're sort of worried about if he's going to make a two-footer. How do you fall that far? Yeah, it, well, it, you know, you have to kind of ask yourself, is this, can this be fixed technically? Is this a technical thing, or is this now completely, you know, gone to a complete mental standpoint? And, and I think, you know, Jordan... Many have labeled him that he he has the yips now in putting, and it's hard for me to say that word and label a player with the yips. But I think he has become, you know, he he has now butted up to that situation where when you're when you're missing the hole from two or three feet, that has now become a, a mental state, right? I mean, this that is no longer a small technical thing as he has labeled it as he had the shaft too far forward. His shoulders were opening. He was hitting down on it too much. I mean, those are, in his words, some of the technical things that they had to clean up. Well, you know, you don't miss the hole from two feet, three feet consistently, um, you know, from time to time when, when that's the case. So I think we're, we're kind of past the technical s- small adjustment standpoint, and we're really now we have to blow it up and do something completely different as we've seen from players. And the name that comes to mind for me, Chris, is Justin Rose. I mean, you know, this is a guy now that really was, you know, statistically, as I recall, in the hundred and, you know, twentieth, hundred and thirtieth mark, you know, the bottom third of the PGA tour in putting, we always have known he's a great ball striker. But now Justin Rose, over the last uh over the last five or six months, statistically is in the top 20, you know, so he has now become one of the better putters on the PGA Tour. So we've seen players, you know, kind of teach themselves how to putt. Now, can he sustain that? Well, we'll have to see, right? He wasn't born a great putter. So it it can happen. You know, he he can work through it. I don't think this is, I'm not ready to say this is a a career ender for Jordan Speed, but some changes are going to have to be made. And and I think he's going to have to, to really rock the boat, to to really turn the page mentally and have no history of anything of what he's currently going to be doing, which I would say has to change here in the next couple of starts if it doesn't get any better. And Travis, talking about guys who needed to change some things, we talked about this a little bit earlier this year when you joined me, but you had tweeted out that you thought Keegan Bradley would win again before Phil or Tiger would, and we know Phil won earlier this year. But your prediction isn't that far off because Keegan Bradley has certainly had a resurgence this year. He's got four top tens, including a seventh-place finish at the Players, thanks to a final round, 66. Talk about what what you're seeing in his game and, and what has he changed in order to come from a guy who was a major champion but then we sort of lost him for quite a while, and now he seems to be coming back to the top of his game. Well, I think like Webb Simpson, um, you know, he he had to kind of reteach himself from the very fundamental stage how to putt. I mean, these are two guys that you know grew up with belly putting. I mean, that that was an option, you know, and that's how they taught themselves how to putt. So. You know, when when you take that away and now all of a sudden you can't anchor that point, you know, you have to kind of reteach everything. You have to you have to reteach how to move the putter head. You have to reteach how to, you know, kind of manage the face angle through impact. And 
because the release isn't going to be the way that he knew it when it was belly putting. So there's just so many little things that I think he had to kind of reteach himself. And I can only imagine what kind of mental grind that had to be, right? Because Keegan Bradley is one of the better ball strikers on the PGA Tour. And this is a guy that can hit the golf ball long and straight. When we talk about taking advantage of length off the tee, if Keegan Bradley was a consistent uh, you know, top third putter on the PGA Tour, he would be winning a couple times a year. We would be talking about him a lot. So I, I've seen some confidence resurface with Keegan, statistically slowly getting better. Um, you can see it in his step. You can see it um, in the way that he's playing the game, that things are moving in the right direction. And I expect him to get into the winner's circle. Uh, Webb Simpson, you know, going back to your previous question, you know, Webb is another player statistically that has gotten better, you know, with the flat stick and he's had to reteach himself. So, you know, it's been cool to see some of these stories that are not discussed a lot in the main, you know, in the mainstream media. But, you know, these are guys that are grinding um, and, and, and trying to, you know, get that one club that's kind of holding them back which is the putter with Keegan Bradley. And um, if he can continue to go where he's going and continue to build on the success that he's having, he, he's going to win again on the PGA Tour. I have no question about it. Travis, just a couple of quick ones before we yeah. let you go. And I need to get a, uh, a tip from you, a playing lesson that can help all of us. And I'm going to be selfish here because it's a shot that I know that I struggle with. So 30, 40 yards off the green. Right, you got a, a sand trap in front of the green, maybe a pond in front of the green. You know it's it's just a it's just a sand, whether it's a sand wedge or it's a lob wedge to get it over. But more times than not, we either chunk it into the water or into the bunker, or we scull it across the green. How do we hit a better, more consistent shot? Just getting over whatever that obstacle is between us and the green, and give ourselves an opportunity, whether it's for par or birdie. Yeah, that's a you know that's a really good question and in an area of the game that when you teach someone to get better at this part, you 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 oftentimes have a student for life because this is the gray area, right? It's not that little bump and run, and it's not the full pitch shot from 80 yards. It's that little half shot, a shot that I learned a lot from Todd Sones, one of the top 50 teachers in the game. He called it a toss shot, T O S S, and. I thought he had a really clever way of describing it. You know, if you were to toss a ball, you know, you imagine your right hand and you had a, had a little golf ball in your hand, you would just swing your arm back, fold your elbow, and then from there you would turn and toss the ball underhand. What you wouldn't do is you wouldn't turn going back, right? If I was going to toss it, I wouldn't turn my shoulders and hips back. Now, if I was going to throw it, I would, right? I would turn my shoulders and hips, probably lift my lead foot up, take a step, and then I would throw it. And I'd have a lot more velocity. But if I was to toss it, I would just swing my arms back, hinge my elbow and wrist, and then turn my chest and throw it underhand. And I think that's how you got to approach those 30-yard shots. You know, set the face maybe a little open. Set the shaft slightly forward. Don't get too crazy with forward shaft lean. Get your sternum, your top button over the ball, and then toss it. Swing your arms, hinge your wrist. Don't, don't load up don't wind up per se just arm swing with the hinge and then turn your chest through and i think that countered with the setup characteristics the club head can fall it'll bump the ground it'll shallow out 
And as long as you're turning your chest through, you know, you should see this nice medium range type of shot that has some spin on it. Travis, let our listeners know, because you do your own show, The Stripe Show, which airs yeah. on Facebook Live, and uh, you're doing it also with eighteen with the 18 Birdies app. Talk about your show. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. It's uh, it's it's a brand new show. We were we just launched our fourteenth episode uh, every Tuesday. Uh, the new one posted posts on Eighteen Birdies Facebook Live, um, and then also it posts in the Eighteen Birdies app, which is a terrific app that you can that has all kinds of cool tools uh, to help you navigate the golf course. But yeah, the Stripe Show, um, you know, it's an instruction show. Um, it, uh, it's a little bit different. We, uh, we, we shoot the show completely on the golf course. We, we've moved it around a little bit from time to time. I heard you talking about PGA Tour Superstores ahead of time. We actually, um, did the show live from PGA Tour Superstore in Jacksonville celebrating women's, uh, golf day last week. So that was a lot of fun. Um, but, uh, we take the show primarily, uh, to the golf course and, and we, uh, we do a lot of individual lessons where people are sending in videos. Um, emailing us their swings uh, to the Stripe Show at 18birdies.com, and we do in full analysis. We're doing full game plan on those swings, um, some heavier lifting segments from driving to iron play to short game to putting, and then we're having some really cool guests, some of the top teachers in the game. I'm bringing them on and having them share insights. So it's a, it's a fun show. It's an approachable show, and um, we're uh, we're really happy with where it's at and, and where it's going. Travis, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with uh, all the things you're doing, whether it's uh, on your website or uh, out on social media as well. Yeah, yeah. My website, uh, TravisFultonGolf.com. Check it out, all kinds of stuff there. And then, um, you know, very active on Instagram, uh, at TravisFultonGolf, and Twitter, at TravisFulton. Well, Travis, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to uh, come back and be a part of the show. Always have so much fun. When, uh, when you're a part of this segment. Thank you for doing so, and I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon. Anytime, Chris. Enjoy the show. Thank you. All right. Take care, Travis. All the best to you and your family. That is Travis Fulton. Again, TravisFultonGolf.com and his show. It's The Stripe Show. You can find it on Facebook Live, and there are links to it on his uh, website as well. And, uh, boy, you know, the, the, the opportunity to spend some time with Travis, A, getting his insights for what's going on, you know, out on tour, but also getting a, a, a great nugget like that on a tip is uh, priceless. So hopefully we get the opportunity to have Travis back on the show again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Patry, I want to remind you about a couple of our sponsors. First, our friends over at Par Bar. Energy and focus on the course are essential whether you're playing you know, out on tour, in your club championship, or just your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar, the golfer's nutritional bar, can help you with both energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all of us Play our best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. We also really appreciate our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. You can order your custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids over at benhogangolf.com. They build clubs to your specifications. The best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line, again, of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories at BenHoganGolf.com. 
All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is top 100 instructor Tom Patry. Tom joined me last week, and uh, we looked ahead to his time being there at Shinnecock Hills for the U.S. Open. This week he's there help running the uh, practice facility, and uh, he's going to be there all week. So he's our eyes and our ears for what's happening on the course and what to expect uh, during this weekend's uh, or this week's tournament. Tom is originally from Long Island, so Shinnecock is a golf course he has been intimate with his whole life. So if someone is going to have the pulse of the golf course and what to expect this weekend, it's going to be Tom, and I'm extremely honored he has taken some time out of his very busy week to join me tonight on Next on the T. Hey, TP, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic, my friend. The question is, how are you with all the things going on there? i got to imagine your days are long this week. Yeah, we had a nice day today because we started about uh, the alarm went off about 4.30 this morning, and we just kind of rolled in now after dinner. So it was, it's, it's been a pretty long day today. So, Tom, give us your thoughts. You know, you, you've been on the property now for a couple of days. Tell, talk about the condition of the golf course and the layout. What do you expect to see this week? You know, Chris, the golf course is in great condition. It's uh, it's a little bit wider than the past opens I've been here. I've been for each of the opens here. It's a little wider. Um, we're supposed to get a little bit of rain tomorrow, which I, I hope doesn't happen because it will soften it up. But right now it's playing. It's getting firmer and faster every day. Uh, the conditions are perfect. Uh, the rough is extremely, extremely difficult. There's, uh, there's three step cuts, uh, a primary, a secondary, and then, uh, jungle grass. It looks like Africa in the third cut. Um, and, and the putting surfaces are actually perfect. They've done a wonderful job preparing the golf course and, uh, it was pretty windy the last two afternoons. If it gets windy out here during the weekend, it does not rain. It'll be an extremely, extremely difficult golf course. So to your point a moment ago, I saw the forecast for rain tomorrow. If they were to get the rain, if it does come through tomorrow, i got to imagine with the sub-air systems and all of that, that they're just going to suck that moisture right back out, right? So how long do you think it yeah, would take for the course to dry back out and get it back to the uh, firm and fast conditions? Well, I mean, Chris, the forecast is, is as much as an inch and a half tomorrow. And if that's true, even with technology, um, it, it will not be – It'll not be completely dry. I mean, it'll be very dry. The golf course drains very well, but you know, you're 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 just the day before the event on Thursday. So if you get an inch and a half tomorrow, it it will affect play on Thursday and possibly part of Friday, unless you get extremely extremely dry and windy conditions on Thursday morning. Um, I think certainly the early tee times on Thursday morning, if it rains tomorrow, will have a little bit of advantage of keeping the ball in play off the tee. And certainly, you know, you know, seeking a few more pins a little more aggressively, uh, at least in the morning wave on, on, on Thursday morning. Um, so it could, it could alter the course of play for Thursday a.m., certainly. So if it were, if that were to be the case, right, and we, we get a, a, a much more receptive golf course Thursday and into Friday. Who does that? Uh, who, whose game does that play into? Is that a is that a bomber's way because you know the the shorter guys aren't going to get the roll, so the guy that can carry the ball the furthest is going to have you know a better opportunity to score well Thursday and Friday, or is it or is the opposite true where it brings some of the shorter hitters back in because again there's only two par fives out there, so it's not like you know the uh, the big hitters are going to be able to uh, take advantage of uh, all the par fives out there. Who does it favor? You know, Chris, I, I wasn't aware in 2018 
that there were any shorter hitters on the PGA Tour anymore. Now, certainly, you know, <laughs> certainly Zach Johnson isn't Dustin Johnson. I get that. But, um, you know, I, I don't mean those guys are so good now, Chris, and they were all so long. I mean, respectively, I understand there's differences, but, you know, I, I don't think it favors anybody. I think, I think Shinnecock favors the person who's extremely patient, who, who's a shot maker, who can get his ball in the wet right quadrant of the green. Um, certainly if you're, if you're hitting it into these greens with shorter irons, that's an advantage. I think it's going to come down to, and I have not seen the tee times for Thursday AM yet. It's going to come down to who has the morning tee times and, and then, you know, it's kind of game on from there. Tom, you talked about the three grades of rough. Talk about the distance off, off the fairway. How far off the fairway can you stray before you find yourself in real trouble? Well, yeah, I think that goes back to my first point, Chris, since the fairways are, are longer than they were at the last two, the fairways are wider, excuse me, than they were at the last two previous opens. The first cut is probably, uh, a yard, a yard and a half wide. And that's, uh, you know, the primary, which is, it's not that difficult, but you can still, again, if you get wet conditions, you're going to have some flyers or jumpers out of that rough too, which will also be a, be a problem. Uh, the second cut, is pretty difficult. I mean, you're not going to really be able to advance the ball probably more than 100 yards out of it. And then the third, the fescue, the third cut is absolutely impossible. You're lucky, first of all, if you can find the golf ball, if you can find it, I'm not sure you can advance it back to the fairway or not, depending on what kind of a break you get. There are some conditions out there where we drop balls in that, in that third cut, and you literally look down and cannot see the golf ball after you drop it at your feet. Um, and that and that 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 cut is about um, I would say five to seven yards off off the fairway line. It, it's there's not a lot of room there. But again, that being said, the fairways are wider than the last time we played here and held it open here. Um, I'm not saying they're wide, but they are wider. Tom, we all know about uh, how the U.S. Open likes to set up the greens and, and the speed of the greens. What are you hearing about how fast the greens are rolling, are going to be rolling this week? Well, I, th- I think they've kind of rolled and just keep the first couple of days, really, because they haven't, they haven't really turned the volume up yet, so, so to speak. But uh, you know, the superintendent here is a very, very astute guy, and certainly I'm sure the USG has a game plan for, you know, for how they're going to progressively work into Thursday morning. Um, I think they'll see the greens pick up a little bit tomorrow. I, I suspect that by game time, again, based on weather and what happens, um, they'll, they'll be in the 13 to 13, five range, I would think, which is, you know, somewhere between, you know, linoleum and a tabletop. Um, and, and the greens do have, have a lot of undulation on them. Uh, some undulations are more severe than others. Um, you know, for example, nine, Nine green and, uh, like 11 green are extremely pitched surfaces. If you get, you know, pin high right or left or above, you've got your hands full on those, on those surfaces, for example. And then the other thing that's great about Shinnecock is the greens that are not severe, they're very, very subtle, but they do move and they're hard to detect some of the subtleties. So there's some complexity out there and you have to have your eyes open and your game plan and, and your court and your, and your, your putting surfaces mapped out very well before we start play. So, Tom, 
when uh, I'm curious as you, again, you're you're one of the best teachers of the game on the planet. When you're out on the practice range and you may be watching a guy hit shots, do you have to turn the teacher off in you, particularly if you happen to come across a guy who might be struggling a little bit with, you know, this shot or that shot as he's practicing? Do you have to fight the urge to say, well, you know what, if you would just do this, you might be able to make that better? Well, you know, Chris, I'm here for a different reason this week, and, and one of the things that you have to respect is most of these guys have their coaches with them, and 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 if it's not your guy, it's not your guy. And you got to keep your mouth shut and, and do your job and and do whatever you're supposed to be doing on property this week. Um, we've got not only the best players in the world here, we've got the best teachers in the world on the planet on this team, you know. Um, so these guys, most of them have their coaches with them this week. Um, and certainly if they don't have their coaches with them, I'm sure they were with them last week and they've already taken time to work out whatever their game plan is from a swing standpoint and from a management standpoint. Um, I have some, I have some friends here this week who are teaching and coaching the game. And certainly we've had a few conversations, but, um, you know, it, 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 it's not my place to do that this week. That's not what I'm here for. And, and I don't have any skin in the game, so I got to keep my mouth shut. Tom, just a couple of more before we let you go. And we certainly appreciate your time. One of the things that uh, I came across statistically for this week is that Matt Kuchar and Sergio Garcia are the only two players to make the cut in the last five U.S. Opens, which I find astounding based on, you know, how good we know the field is. Um, your thoughts on those guys. Would you be surprised to see either one of those guys win come Sunday? No, I, I would be, you know, listen, Sergio's got a Masters and Matt Kuchar, we certainly well documented as a, as a very good ball striker and somebody who controls his golf ball very, very well. Um, I, I will, I will lend this to you. I, I've been astounded up close this week, uh, because I've gotten to spend some really close proximity time, uh, with Tiger Woods, in and around Tiger Woods, Joey LaCava, who, who carries the Tiger, is a good friend of ours, and, uh, we've had some pretty close access to watch him practice and hit some golf balls, and, and I, I gotta be, I gotta be very, very honest with the audience. I was the guy who wrote him off about a year ago. Um, watching what we've watched this year so far, and now watching it up close in person, I also got to watch him at Bay Hill earlier in the year. Um, what he's gone through with his body, uh, and his game and where he is right now is absolutely, it, it's astounding. It might be miraculous. Um, and the shots I've seen him hit this week in practice and we've, we've followed him a little bit on the golf course. Um, if, if Tiger Woods has a B or B plus putting week, he could win by five shots. I mean, that's how impressed I am with what I've seen so far this week. Again, it's only, it's only Tuesday, it's the U.S. Open, and and we may be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in this conversation, but it's been extremely, extremely impressive uh, what I've seen so far. I just wouldn't have believed this a year ago right now. So, Tom, one more before we let you go, and I think the, the fan favorite coming in <laughs> has got to be Phil, right? I mean, he's The fans in New York well, I, love him. You know, three of his six runner-up finishes in a U.S. Open have come right there on Long Island, back at Shinnecock in 2004, twice at Beth Page Black. He had a couple of really good rounds this past weekend, a 66 and a 65 to bookend his rounds there at Memphis. So, you know, when you think about Phil Mickelson, do you give him a shot? 
Sure. I mean, how, how can you count out Phil Nicholson? He's one of the greatest players of all time. And obviously, as you said, because it's his, it's his, his U.S. Open record is, is incredible considering he doesn't have a win. Um, I think that's both a, uh, a blessing and a curse. I mean, a blessing in the sense that he's, he's, he's obviously proved he can play U.S. Open golf courses very well. A curse in the sense is does he have too much pressure on him to, to get the fourth piece of the puzzle, uh, you know, you know, on his, on his mantle. Um, Phil's got to know that the clock is ticking and he doesn't have very many of these left, uh, you know, to, to take a run at. So he's obviously playing very well. He's played well all year. He's won already this year. Um, he, like you said, he played relatively well last week in Memphis. I'm sure he's, I'm sure he's, the Phil's a very astute professional. I'm sure he's done his preparation, but boy, there's got to be a lot of pressure on him with, with the clock ticking. So Tom, we got to get uh, a prediction from you. Who do you think? You know, if, let me give you. A, you know, give, give me a foursome. Who are the four guys that you think uh, have a a really good shot at uh, taking home the title? I would think Chris Mascaro is number one in my book. Number one, he's probably you know, he's probably got a real. <laughs> I wish he were. After you, Chris, I would say that. Again, I'm really impressed with what I've seen with Tiger this week. Nobody's talking about, and I can't believe nobody's talking about, including you, Chris, Justin Rose. I mean, look at how well he's played this year. Um, yeah. The guy's a wonderful, wonderful ball striker, has plenty of length, doesn't really have a weakness in his game, and, he, and, he, and he's coming off a lot of really close, uh, recent good play. So he's certainly uh, one of my two. And then, you know, I mean... There's so many guys that, you know, are right there. I mean, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler, uh, Dustin Johnson. You know, you gotta put all those names in the hat. Phil, obviously, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't discount like you said at all. Um, God, it's just, you know, it's such a, such a log jam in the top 10. And then watch us all be wrong and some guy that's ranked, you know, 111th in the world that qualified, took walk through qualify and come up and win this thing. And, you know, that's how crazy it can happen at an open venue. Who, who picked Brooks Kepka recently? Anybody? I know I didn't, you know. Right. Um, so we, we got a lot of golf to be played on a really hard golf course in very difficult conditions. But certainly those names I threw out at you are certainly guys that I would watch. And I didn't name Ricky Fowler as well. I throw him in yep. there. So. You know, game on Thursday morning and uh, buckle up and put your seatbelt on and get a beer and some pretzels. You're in, you're in for a hell of a weekend, I think. So what do you think the uh, winning score comes in at? Are we going to see something close to what we saw last year at Aaron Hills with a, a minus 16, or is this a single-digit under par and you'll be happy? You're not going to see 16 under Shinnecock, so I can, you, can, you can take all the money in the bank and go to Vegas on that one. There's not going to be any 16 under Shinnecock, but you know, the last three opens here have been right around par, you know, one over, one under. The golf course has held up very, very well. And although we mentioned have wider fairways, we also have a longer Shinnecock than you're ever have. We've had several tee boxes built. It is going to play par 70 and, you know, somewhere between a mile and a mile and a half long. Now, if the wind blows and it dries out, I think you're still right around par. If it rains tomorrow and it doesn't get too windy, and, and they really get aggressive. I think you might see you might see six or eight under. You could see I could see that happen. So I would, but I think that's my cap at Shinnecock because there's just there's just enough 
you know, penal areas out there where somebody's going to make a mistake, you know, once around it, it's going to cost them. Um, so I, I was saying on, on, on the high side, even par, and on the low side, eight under, somewhere in that range, depending on, on wind and rain. Tom, before we let you go, let our listeners know how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing with your great website and uh, all the things you, uh, all the places you're available on social media as well. Yeah, Chris, thank you. Uh, certainly at www.tompatry.com, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all available. Um, and, uh, certainly every time I get asked to come on your show, it's a blessing. So I appreciate that, Chris, for the plug and, uh, Hope everybody out there has a great open week and uh, enjoys Shinnecock Hills, whether they're here live or wherever they're watching in the world, and certainly to our armed forces, which I know you broadcast to overseas. Well, Tom, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, come back and be a part of the show. It's always a privilege getting to spend some time with you, my friend. I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon. Yes, anytime. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, hope I talk to you real soon. All right. Take care, Tom. Enjoy the week. Thanks, Chris. That's the great Tom Patry. And again, P-A-T-R-I, TomPatry.com. His, his website's fantastic. A lot of great lessons available there. And uh, check out his schedule because he's uh, he spends time up in uh, on Long Island. He spends time you know, out in Maryland. He spends time down in uh, Fort Myers. So uh, Tom is going to be at a course near you. And one of the great things that Tom is offering this year is he'll come to you. So get in touch with him. Uh, you know, the opportunity to spend some time with a, a top 100 instructor like Tom is uh, is absolutely invaluable. So I highly recommend a him and b if you have them and have the means and the time, please reach out to him. Get him come to you because uh, his instruction is is the best in the game. And I can't thank Tom enough for taking time out of his uh, busy schedule to be a part of the show. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. We want to send out our thanks again to Zach Sutcher, Travis Fulton, and Tom Patry for joining me tonight. And, folks, please give me your thoughts. Check out our page over on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Give me your feedback. If you've got a question for one of our previous guests or one of our future guests, please let me know. We'll be glad to get that question answered for you. Please also check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you're going to be able to see who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, you'll be able to stream or download any of our archive episodes through our link back to our page over on Podbean. And we certainly can't thank our friends on Podbean enough for uh, featuring us. We're right front and center there. If you do a search for golf, boom, Next on the Tee is going to come right up there for you. Please also check us out on the Podbean app. You can download it and have that app available so you can take us with you everywhere you go. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host, Bob Lazari. That show airs live every Thursday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio. But just like this show, it is available as a free podcast over on Podbean and on iHeartRadio as well. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days and their insights into what's going on around the NFL today. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. You can find that show, our website there is ThursdayNightTailgate.com. And again, this show, next on the net. Folks, thank you so much for choosing to listen to this show today. We know you got thousands of podcasts and shows that you have the opportunity to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the T one of them. Until next week, hit him straight, my friends.
been listening to Nextology with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great 